Monday night, May 6th at the Hyatt Regency in San Francisco. You're invited to join athletes and celebs at the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame Enshrinement Dinner. Be there to celebrate this year's class featuring Olympic swimmer Jenny Thompson, San Jose Earthquakes legend Chris Wondolowski, Niners Super Bowl hero John Taylor, Sharks icon Patrick Marlowe, and the architect of the Giants dynasty, Brian Sabian. Be a part of this star-studded evening benefiting Special Olympics Northern California. To purchase tickets, visit Bayshoff.org. That's B-A-S-H-O-F.org. We have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. There's not many teams at the beginning of the year that can say that. We have a chance to, and, and it's got to be on us to make that happen. You're listening to the San Jose Sharks Morning Tide with Ted Ramey. This is our opportunity. Our time is, is now. Our window is now. 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 All right, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Morning Tide. I'm your host, Ted Ramey. It is day one of the Stanley Cup playoffs. It is game one for the San Jose Sharks and Las Vegas. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And look at this. It's also episode number one of Morning Tide. I'll give you some brief background here. We all know the San Jose Sharks don't get nearly enough love on Bay Area Sports Talk platforms. This isn't a debate. This isn't a condemnation. It's just a statement of reality. But you know what? We have the power, we have the ability, and the desire to bring you sports talk, hockey talk, Sharks talk, all on our own. So the Sharks and I got to talking, they knew I was a Sharks nut, that I wanted to do Sharks talk, and we realized that having this available for the fans was a great option. And here we are. One of the worst feelings of my life happened when the Sharks acquired Eric Carlson via trade. No, It had nothing to do with acquiring Garrett Carlson. That was fantastic. My phone started blowing up. I turned on one of the sports talk stations because I was in my car driving around, and it was crickets. Crickets. And I realized that not only could I help solve this issue, I was in the exact same boat as thousands upon thousands of Sharks fans out there. Their team, their passion, had one of the two biggest moves of the NHL offseason And there was nothing. There was nothing. And so the idea here is because I am a fan and I understand what that was like, I want this talk show to be for you. If you have questions, interview requests, ideas, anything at all that you think will make this a better listening experience, tell me. And I promise at the very least that I'll listen. I can't make everything a reality. If I could... Jumbo might have gotten a fourth goal and arrested for indecent exposure a couple weeks ago against Boston. I don't know. But the point is, you have a voice here, and even if that means you want me to come say hello during intermission tonight, tell me, and I'll try to do it. Or if you just want to tell me, hey, Ted, I think you suck, well, you know what? I'll come up and listen to that as well. I value your fandom and your input, and the best way to get a hold of me is on Twitter. Tweet me at Ted Ramey Media. Look for a smiling bald man. We can go for there. All right, the best way for us to get up to speed is to look back and think about how we got here. It doesn't start in 2019. It doesn't start with the Carlson trade. It actually starts with a painful close to 2018. Here again, advanced out by Smith. At line, Marcia So. Riley Smith finds the handle. They score! Vegas. 
first message of the second round in this series belongs to Marc Andre Fleury. to come in we, we understand the environment we're in you know they're a good home team they come out fast usually I think you understand as a player anytime you go on the road something like that can happen and you know we didn't do a good enough job just stopping it and making some plays and uh, just got out of hand you know started chasing it a little bit we had our chances on the power play early to kind of you know come back to two or three or whatever it is to really kind of keep it within striking distance so you start chasing the game it, it gets tough you know and uh, the good thing is you don't get extra points for winning by seven Burns will get it now LeBanc, he'll delay all the way across, a chance, they score! Logan Couture wins it in double overtime! Here comes Kane, he'll shift it on Schmidt, throw on the brakes, Evander Kane. They try to stick it short side, Couture in front, Pavelski blocked, Marcheseau got in the way. And now Neil, William Carlson has room, he's in, he scores! didn't win the game but easily we could have and uh, did enough that uh, we could be sitting here with a win we didn't though so we have to figure out how to get on the other side of it but our game's building here every game I think every game we're getting more confidence we're playing better and uh, I'm, I'm expecting that to continue I know we're getting better every game, so you know I know we're going to get off the, the plane in Vegas and, and we're going to play a good game and it's going to take a real good game to win in there and we're going to have to win a game in there in order to win this series. themselves the Golden Misfits. A lot cast aside by their former teams as they tied up along the boards with six seconds left. And the Vegas Golden Knights will check another box in their expansion season. They're on their way to the Western Conference Final. These guys had all kinds. Our, our number one center went down. These guys jumped in and filled roles, didn't complain battled their ass off right to the buzzer in every single game, even when we were down. That's my story. You write whatever you want. Yeah, I, I know. That's not fun. But I think it's important to relive that before this series starts tonight to remember the animosity that you feel towards this Vegas team. So just imagine how the Sharks players feel. I think that game just under two weeks ago tells you all you need to know about how these teams actually feel about each other. But anyway... And so that led us into the offseason where all I could really think about was what would have happened if the Sharks and Jumbo had been healthy and what would happen in a potentially huge offseason that started with the Sharks locking up Evander Kane before he could become an unrestricted free agent, which was a great move. But then 
when the Sharks didn't get John Tavares, I really didn't know what Doug Wilson was going to do. There had been so much talk that I really thought the Sharks were going to land him. And then we started hearing the rumors about Eric Carlson. And, you know, I didn't really know initially what to think. Was it a bad rumor? Was there anything to it? And then it just happened. And then suddenly the onus was on the Sharks. Alongside Stu Grimson, I'm Jameson Coyle. Welcome inside our NHL Network studios with some big-time breaking news. One of the best players in the NHL is on the move. The two-time Norris Trophy winner, Eric Carlson, has been traded from Ottawa to San Jose. Carlson, the newest member of the San Jose Sharks. Let's show you the trade details here between the Sharks and the Senators. Eric Carlson, of course, the biggest piece in this trade. Uh, the Sharks also getting Francis Perron, but the Sens in exchange will get Chris Tierney, Dylan DeMello, and then a couple of prospects here in Rudolph's Balsers and Josh Norris. Also includes two draft picks, uh, 2019 second rounder, a 2020 first rounder, and two conditional draft picks after that. Eric Carlson on the move. Eric Carlson now rocking a San Jose Sharks sweat. Yeah, that was how it was reported on the NHL Network. Here's Sharks head coach Peter DeBoer. Doug used the term game game changing players or game breaking players. Uh, there's only there's only so many of those guys. Patty Marlowe was one of those guys. He moved on. We have some of those guys here. But you need those type of players to, to win a Stanley Cup and they very rarely become available and they very rarely become available in their prime and I think Doug's done a masterful job over the last you know two decades going back to Joe Thornton to Brent Burns to this of jumping on situations uh, where maybe there's uh, extenuating circumstances that, that a guy you know this good becomes available and DeBoer did not shy from the extreme reality and opportunity that he and the Sharks had just become a part of well, it was twofold. It was one to look around the room and, and look at the people in the organization, staff, uh, and players who have dedicated their entire working lives or careers or decades of their careers to win the Stanley Cup and haven't yet. And this is this is our opportunity. Our time is is now. Our window is now. And again, DeBoer, the blunt. Well, it was twofold. It was one to look around the room and, and look at the people in the organization, staff. Uh, and players who have dedicated their entire working lives or careers or decades of their careers to win the Stanley Cup and haven't yet. And this is this is our opportunity. Our time is, is now. Our window is now. And I know you just heard that and you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, Ted, we heard that already. You've already used that cut. This is our opportunity. Our time is, is now. Our window is now. 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 I'm sorry, but the audio gods giveth and the audio gods taketh away, and that was one time where they giveth. And you have to think to yourself, Pete DeBoer knew this entire year, the minute they landed Carlson, that the pressure was on the Sharks, and that has been the reality since day one. I mean, I want you to think about the situation that Pete DeBoer came into with the Sharks. He was taking over Todd McClellan's job, and Todd had just come off, you know, the first time in ages the Sharks did not make the playoffs, and there were numerous reasons why that didn't happen. And that's a conversation that can either be had on another day or on somebody else's time, but I don't really want to get into that. But Pete DeBoer was challenged with bringing the Sharks back to what they previously were. And in his first year there, he gets them to the Stanley Cup final where they lose. And okay, that <laughs> you can't ask for much more than that. Yeah, I mean, you would have liked to have won, obviously, but if you're complaining about getting to the Stanley Cup finals, I don't know, you, you got problems. But... And then the year after that, and the year after that, he takes the Sharks on 
Relatively deep runs both of the past two years, and the only difference is that the Sharks in 2016 were healthy, and then in 2017 and 2018, they weren't healthy. That has been the big difference, and that's why it's so key this year that the Sharks are going in relatively healthy. I mean, look, I know it's April. Everybody's banged up. Everybody's tired. You've played the first season. Now it's the start of the second season. You're all really trying to see who's got the deeper team, who's got the most left in the tank. It's not like this is going to be determined by who is freshest. It's a test of who can endure the most. And for the San Jose Sharks, the entire year has been really a test of endurance in terms of people picking them apart and assuming that when Carlson came to the team it would be a transformation akin to what we saw when Kevin Durant joined the Golden State Warriors. And, you know, I always felt that was a, a bit too harsh because hockey is entirely different than basketball. You can't just plug one guy in and expect things to change or expect for a team to get that much better that much more quickly. This was going to take a while, and it did take a while. Let's recall the Sharks started out the year. They lost 5-2 to the Ducks. Then they have to go to overtime to beat the lowly Kings. Then it's a loss to the Islanders. They explode against the Flyers, 8-2. They lose to the Rangers, 3-2 in overtime. Then they lose to the Devils, 3-2. Then they beat the Sabres, 5-1, back at home. They beat the Islanders, 4-1. They beat the Predators on the road, which was a very good win. Then they lose to the Hurricanes in a shootout. They beat the Ducks in overtime. They fall to the Rangers in a shootout. They lose to the Blue Jackets 4-1 and suddenly we're in November. They beat the Flyers in overtime. They beat the Wild 4-3. They fall to the Stars. They get shut out by the Blues 4-0. They beat the Flames 3-1. But the overarching theme we're seeing here is one of inconsistency. It's one game good, one game bad. One game good, one game bad. On Tuesday, November 13th, they beat the Predators 5-4. Then they fall to the Maple Leafs 5-3 on November 15th. After that, they shut out the Blues 4-0. Then they lose to the Oilers in overtime 4-3. They beat the Canucks 4-0. Get smashed by Vegas 6-0. Fall to the Sabres 3-2 in overtime. And then it all came to a head when they fell to the Maple Leafs 5-3 on November 28th. This, to me, was one of the key turning moments of the season because Logan Couture, who speaks up when he feels it's necessary, spoke up after this loss. My personal opinion, I don't think we're close. But there's we show spurts and, and signs that, that we're capable of it but we haven't put together an effort against a top quality team. You know, we had a spurt in that Nashville game where we were able to come back and beat them. That may be it, but we got to figure it out soon. I'm a believer that it takes time. I'm a believer that it doesn't take 26 games, so we need to figure it out. And at this point, they did figure it out. The Sharks started off December with a loss, but won seven of their first nine overall, including five straight at one point, and won nine out of 15 games in the month of December. January comes around, and the Sharks start off even better. They look so scary good. They beat Colorado, they beat Tampa Bay, they beat the Kings, they beat the Oilers, they beat Vegas, they beat Ottawa, they beat the Pens. That's seven straight victories. Colorado, Tampa Bay, LA, Edmonton, Vegas, Ottawa, the Pens. Broussard again. His pass blocked by Braun. A steal, a drop. Kane for Hurdle. Here's Hurdle. Scores! A hat trick for Tomas Hurdle. And that will do it. 
it just the balance, the scoring. It seems like um, you know a lot of guy, a lot of guys are going at the same time. But I, you know, I credit a lot to that to the defense too. The defense are you know giving the puck to the forwards, and then and then they go. But you know, this team is uh, you know it's, it's playing real well right now, and we just you know got to keep continuing. That was Hurdle's hat trick, and then Jumbo talking about how well the team had been playing. But at that point, that was where the Sharks would cool off. They then lost to Arizona. They lost to Tampa Bay. They lost to Florida. And then they came back right before the break and beat the Capitals 7-6 in overtime. But what you want to pay attention to is that loss to Tampa Bay because that was the first one that Carlson was a scratch for what was then being described as a mysterious injury. And by the way, I love how mysterious injury has become the term of choice in the NHL. Um, that was what they used to describe Joe Pavelski's injury just a couple of weeks ago. But that was the first sign that there was a little bit of trouble with Carlson and it will be a big story moving forward for the Sharks. But then they headed into the break. They hosted the NHL All-Star Game. Carlson was out there playing for the Sharks. All was merry, and you just assumed that things were going to pick right back up on the other side for San Jose. And you know what? They actually did. The Sharks counting the last game, the win over Washington before the break, and coming out of the break in their trip through Canada, they won six straight games, including one game in Arizona against the Coyotes. But they beat Washington before the break, then they beat the Coyotes, then they down Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver. Then the Sharks fell into a void of inconsistency once again. They fell to Washington 5-1, beat Vancouver 3-2, lost to Boston 6-5 in overtime. They beat the Pens 4-0, got shut out by the Blue Jackets 4-0, beat Detroit 5-3, and then lost to Boston 4-1. And that was, again, the game where Eric Carlson had to leave again, aggravating a different portion of of a groin injury. March was straight up weird. They started out the month with six straight wins down in the Avs, the Blackhawks, Montreal, St. Louis, Minnesota, and Winnipeg. Then they lost seven straight, losing to Florida, Nashville, Vegas, the Kings, the Ducks, Detroit, and Chicago. They bounced back right at the end of the month, getting an overtime victory over Vegas 4-3, and then the next night, they fell to Calgary 5-3. Then after that, it was winning two out of their final three to end the year. A loss to Vancouver, then they beat the Oilers, then they beat the Avs, and that brings us up to today. Game one against Las Vegas tonight at 7.30 from the tank. Let's start off with a little bit from the captain, Joe Pavelski, telling us about how things are different this year as compared to last. Yeah, well, obviously we were missing Jumbo at the time, and, uh, you know, it's just different guys slot in different areas to make things work, and, you know, so that was then. Um, obviously we had a little bit different look, still trying to accomplish a lot of the same things, and, you know, hopefully with the look we have, uh, it just adds a little depth to us. Pavelski was also asked whether or not the Sharks were situated well to combat the high defense played by Vegas. Because we got some guys that, that can play that down low game with Hurdle, you know, probably leading the way and Timo's, you know, we've got some guys that can work their ways out of corners and um, if we catch that break and, you know, hit that seam, it's, uh, you know, we'll have a few chances. But they play hard down low defensively. You know, it's physical down there, so you got to win some one-on-one -on -one battles and help each other support. And, um, but there have been teams throughout the year that will play RD a little bit higher since we do use them quite a bit. And, 
um, you know, this is a team that, that does that. Logan Couture also looked back at last year against Vegas when contemplating the upcoming series. We scored some goals in that series last year. I thought we, uh, we scored enough to win. We just gave up way too much. I think uh, if I remember, they scored seven in a game and five or six in another game. So scoring wasn't an issue. Um, it was just giving up too much. So going in this series, we need to be uh, be pretty tight defensively if we, if we want to win it. But he also seemed to have an idea of what it would take this time around. Yeah, uh, they do a good job on their their own end. They play hard. They're they're man on man, and um, you know they have been playing us in the past with their you know their two forwards up high in our defense. So it's it's basically three on three down low, and it's up to us as forwards to to beat our guy. Um, you know when it comes down to it, it's a one on one one on one battles all over the ice, and um, we've got to do do a good job of beating our guy if we want to score some goals. Now we know that offense is the new norm in the NHL, but I'm particularly looking at the matchup of Martin Jones versus Marc-Andre Fleury in this and the idea of playoff Jones. Let's look at this and with a little help from Hockey Reference. Joan has a 9-12 career save percentage with his goals against average in the regular season being 247. In the postseason, his save percentage rises to 926 with a goals against average of 2.07, so he is almost a half goal better in the playoffs. And yes, this is in spite of the small sample size. In 24 postseason games in 2016, his save percentage was 923, and it's actually been higher the following two postseasons. Now, you can chalk that up to fewer games, but it is worth paying attention to. Let's compare him to Marc-Andre Fleury, who obviously has a much longer career, but his career save percentage is 913 with a 256 goals against average. In the playoffs, he's 9-1-1 with a 2-5-8 goals against average. So his numbers are pretty consistent with his regular season numbers, whereas that is not the case for Jones. Regardless, Jonesy isn't paying too much attention to his critics at this point. No, I don't care about any of that. No. But he was also asked to try and define why he is actually better in the postseason. No, I mean, again, we've had good teams. We've had some good runs, and um, we always, you know, playoffs are, you know, everything kind of tightens up out there for the most part. So, um, yeah, it's just been, you know, we play well as a team. And he also gave his assessment of the Las Vegas squad. They're good. They're good in transition. You know, they they can uh, they can strike offensively pretty quickly. You know, they don't need uh, a ton of time or space. Um, so so they're dangerous. So we just got to make sure we're tight defensively and. Um, you know, they're, they're, they work hard and they put a lot of pressure on you all every day, so we got to be ready to make plays fast. By the way, after Jones talked about his critics, we did get to hear from Sharks head coach Pete DeBoer about those same critics and doubters when it comes to Martin Jones. Well, because they should have a, a stat that says, you know, belief in your goaltender. And, you know, I think if they had that stat, you know, Jonesy would be batting a 1,000 with our group. I, there's not been one mumble or, or whisper you know, within our group about uh, him or our confidence in him to get the job done. So that's the one analytic stat I can give you guys that you guys maybe don't have access to. <laughs> we also got to hear from head coach Pete DeBoer on Monday what he's looking at in this matchup against Vegas. They're a great offensive team, they, and they do it a bunch of different ways. They, they do it on their forecheck. They do it with their back pressure through the neutral zone and stripping you and turning pucks over and transitioning, and they do it with their D joint in the rush on their breakout. So, I mean, they, they, they have a lot of different ways that they can get you on your heels. So, you know, we're going to have to 
be aware of all those areas. So that was the scene on Monday. Things were a bit more jovial, a bit more light overall, and guys were maybe a little bit more talkative or maybe a little less worried about anything that came out of their mouths becoming bulletin board material. That changed on Tuesday. Let's start off with one Mr. Haley talking about, oh, some bad blood between he and a specific member of the Vegas Golden Knights. No, I mean... You know, in our roles, there's, you got to walk the line, right? Sometimes you're the guy that crosses, and sometimes you're the guy that comes out that didn't cross it. So um, I think, well, obviously, we're, we're both going to try and do the same thing, you know, try and uh, get our hits in and, and but play hockey whistle to whistle. So, um, yeah, I mean, you saw two two games there. One I took one and one he won. So it's just the way it works sometimes in our role. So it's, uh, you know, you got to be mindful of it and, you know, try and make sure you're not the guy that goes over the line. Somehow I'm not going to be surprised if he and Reeves both go over the line. When it came to Brent Burns, however, he was not given anything. Pete's mentioned that, you know, Vegas, they try to play you guys up high, you defensemen up high. You know, yeah, I don't know. That? I don't know. Well, you're a defenseman. I mean, yeah. you know how they play I don't you. Know. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, is it, how do they, how would you characterize their, their, the way they try and shut, you know, guys like you and Eric down? Yeah, well, well I don't know. We'll see. See how it is. That was Kevin Kurz of The Athletic getting absolutely nothing out of Brent Burns. By the way, no fault of Kevin there. Burns just wasn't going to say anything. But the man who was a little bit different on Tuesday was an extremely upbeat Pete DeBoer. Now, DeBoer doesn't always come across as Mr. Showbiz in his personality, but I definitely think he knows how to use the media to his advantage, and he gets guys on his side, and he was all smiles and sunshine on Tuesday when talking about what he considers to be his favorite time of the year. You love this time of year. Um, you know, I, I mean, as a coach, I think uh, this is my favorite time of the year. You get to dive into one team and really spend all your energy on a on one team for a seven-game series. And, uh, you know, that's exciting. So it's different preparation than you have during the, the rest of the season. And breaking that routine's nice from our end as coaches and I think uh, it's nice for the players too to be able to to dive in on some more detail on a specific opponent. But when he said that I had to ask in return if there was any risk of paralysis by analysis. Uh, no I don't think so. I mean really, really we had a day off Sunday we've had two days Monday Tuesday to prep so um, you know I, I don't I don't think so and and again I think we're we're pretty cautious about over prepping we, we know what our game looks like, our concentration's got to be on that. Obviously, we're spending some time on Vegas and their tendencies, but you know, I, I don't think that's an issue. And then given the fact that Las Vegas has only been in the league for two years, Pete was asked about what more he has learned about the Knights in playing them this year. Uh, I, I think every time we play them, we're, we learn a little bit more, uh, you know, how to handle uh, them. Um, they're obviously a, a great opponent, great team, playing great. Uh, and a really tough building so I think probably the biggest thing has been handling the momentum you know of getting behind against them or them getting a lead especially in their building you know I thought this year we did a better job of of not letting uh, some of those games run away from us at different points where in the past uh, maybe we have so um, you know like anything you just you learn a little bit every time you play a team. And then he was asked if he learned that, yes, there is quite a bit of animosity between these two sides. You know, we, we play in the Pacific Division. Nobody likes anybody. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's the reality of, of where we play. And, and I'm sure if you're, you know, in the Atlantic Division, it's the same thing with the Rangers and Devils and Islanders. And so, 
you know, you play each other so many times and, and you have so many competitive guys, and especially when you get down to the teams that are really good at the end, they're reason they're good. You, you've got competitive people that don't like to lose on, on, on the teams that are left in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, so I, I expect it to be a, a battle and, uh, you know, you wouldn't want it any other way. And then, of course, there's the fact that this team has gotten relatively healthy at just the right time, which is the exact opposite of what he's experienced over the past two years, but puts this more in line with what we saw in 2016 when the Sharks made that run to the Stanley Cup final. I do. Yeah, I mean, you know what, really, our practice uh, yesterday, I think, was the first time we've had our whole group out there other than CMAC, you know, in at least a couple months, so... Um, you know, you always want to be healthy. It's nice, nice to have all hands on deck and, and have that availability. So that's definitely an asset. So again, the relative health of the Sharks is just a huge factor. But let's go through this matchup a bit on paper. Let's start with the keepers. Because Flurry is Flurry and Jones is coming off of a bad season, relatively speaking, you have to give Las Vegas the edge in goaltending. That being said, Martin Jones has been a different guy in the playoffs. We've seen it before and we could see it again. His numbers show that he is about a half goal better in the playoffs than he is in the regular season. We acknowledge the sample size being small, but we also look at the fact that he's going against higher level competition in every game, and as he puts it, the games and his team in front of him are that much tighter. So again, we give the edge in goaltending to Vegas, but if Jones is on his A game, that changes the entire dynamic of the series completely in favor of the Sharks. On defense, yeah, you have to look at Carlson, Vlasic, and Burns. This is a trio defenseman that will pose problems for Las Vegas no matter what. But Carlson is the big X factor here because even though he's healthy, we all view this healthy as a relative term, and Vegas will push him. They're not going to try to intentionally hurt him or anything like that, but they're going to make him use his legs, muscle up on his physicality, and see if they can get him to either overexert himself or be self-conscious about his groin. One note on the Sharks' D that I got from Pro Hockey Talk, and this is a bit of a discrepancy in terms of the Sharks, their shot suppression was allowing just 28.3 shots per game. That was one of the best in the NHL. But their goals allowed was 3.16 per game. So again, that is the discrepancy. But in my opinion, you also have to take into consideration the loss of Carlson for almost 30 games. And we're also looking at hockey through the lens of the past that doesn't entirely reflect the true meaning of stats in a period of offensive growth, which is a complicated way of saying we don't quite know what we're looking at yet because we don't have the benefit of history. As for offense... I mean, this is close to a toss-up, especially with the acquisition the Knights have made. Um, but if we want an X-factor, it's Joe Thornton as a third-line center, still making some of the most absurd passes we've ever seen, like the beautiful pass from behind the net to Sorensen against Edmonton just last week or about a week and a half ago. That's just one of those passes that only Jumbo can make, and he'll do it, you know? And he wasn't able to do it last time because he was out injured. But overall, the speed and ferocity and physicality we're about to see over the next four-plus games is going to be unreal. And I think that's something that I particularly appreciate in light of the fact that the Kings, the Ducks, and the Red Wings have had a massive drop-off in quality. The Sharks were lacking a true rival, and it has emerged in Vegas, especially with the postseason history now and the fact that this could be perceived in a way as the Western Conference Final in Round 1. This has all the makings of an all-time classic series. 
And I will give my prediction in a moment, but I wanted to take a look at some of the requests we've gotten already in terms of things we want to talk about here on Morning Tide. Uh, I'm starting off on the subreddit for the San Jose Sharks. Uh, we have Forever Kasai wants me to talk to either Randy Hahn or Dan Rusinowski. He says they're both fantastic people and lots of fun to talk to. Uh, Forever Kasai, I can definitely do that. I am friends with both Randy and Dan. They're great guys. And uh, I would love to have them on. Um, IBC Freak says, Hi, Ted. I'm interested in hearing from the Sharks equipment managers. I would like to know the typical routine the day of the games from skates to sticks. The equipment folks are what allow the teams to function, and in my opinion, not enough of a spotlight is given to those who work so hard to allow our favorite teams to play their game. I agree. I think this is a great idea, and I will definitely do what I can to get into this, and uh, I'm, I'm all for this. Um, the Cone of Shane comes in and also says, Related to this, who manages all the travel and logistics of moving a team, staff, and equipment all over the place, especially during playoffs when they are making fairly last-minute plans. And I wants to know if they have any tales or snafus from these travels. And yeah, I think that's a great idea. I think we can get into this. Um, I had JP Petros on Twitter and also Cube Dude say, what about scouts? They've done a great job with this team finding gems that went undrafted or are in Europe. Could be cool to go through a day in their lives. I agree. Kim SCZ says she would love to hear about a day in the life of Pavs or Burns on a playoff game day. Again, I will see what I can do to make all of these happen. I think there are some really good ideas. And again, the whole idea of this talk show slash podcast is to give the fans a voice and give you guys the content that you are looking for. And, uh, you know, I'm just very much excited to be reacting to games and to be reacting to everything we're about to see over at least the next four games. God, I hope there are more than four, unless, of course, the Sharks are sweeping, then I'd be okay with that. But no, if it gets back to my prediction, I think this series has seven games written all over it. I mean, I've seen the jokes on Twitter the last couple of years. It's like, well, you can, well, you know, why just skip the games? Why not just put it in sudden death overtime right now for game number seven? And I kind of feel like you could do that with these two teams. That being said, the Sharks, in my opinion, have the advantage simply because I feel that while the top-level talent on both these teams is fairly evenly matched, I feel that the top talent on the San Jose Sharks is better than the top talent on the Vegas Golden Knights. And when I look at Martin Jones and know what he's capable of in the postseason versus what we see from him in the regular season, I think we're going to see a step up in his performance, and that's going to be another big edge in favor of the Sharks. Now, that does not mean that this is not going to be a seven-game series. You could see Martin Jones step his game up. You could see the Sharks' top-level talent play to the best of their ability, and that's not going to stop this from being an absolutely unbelievable drag out, knock them down type series that's going to go seven games. I mean, it just it has it written all over it. It really, really does. These This could be, again, I said it earlier, an all-time classic. And I don't think that's being hyperbolic either. I think that's being relatively realistic with the way these two teams played just on March 30th. They were beating the crap out of each other. That was a physical game filled with animosity between the two teams, and it was at the end of the regular season you know, I know there was still some relative stuff left on the line in terms of where the Sharks were going to match up, but I mean, that was like a playoff game 
and it was just a one-off towards the end of the regular season. These teams don't like each other, and they're going to like each other even less by the time this series is over, and hopefully the Sharks will have given the Vegas Golden Knights plenty of motivation to be angry after sending them home early. They need to return the favor after last year. All right, so I've got the Sharks in seven. I hope that's not too contrived. Uh, but now it's time for you all to uh, get ready for game one tonight, 7.30 at the tank. Remember, if you want me to come by and say hello, tell me where we're going to be hanging out. Tweet me at Taylor Media. I'm excited to see everybody out tonight at the tank. I'm excited to watch this game go down. I'm excited to see the Sharks take a 1-0 series lead. All right, everyone. Enjoy yourselves. Be safe. Don't drink and drive. I'm Ted Ramey. This has been Morning Tide. Go Sharks. Thank you for listening to the San Jose Sharks Morning Tide with Ted Ramey. Music composed by Yogi Yend. New episodes appear each morning after Sharks playoff games on the Sharks Sharks digital digital platform. 